You're listening to a special episode of Dwell on Truth, covering the war in Ukraine. I'm Brenton Powers. It's Thursday, March 31st. I'm bringing you an update from both pastors that I interviewed four weeks ago who have stayed in Ukraine. My first guest is missionary and pastor Wayne Sheck from Operation Mobilization and Calvary Chapel Karkalik. And my second guest, Ben Morrison from Calvary Chapel Svitlovodsk, Ukraine. So some cities are hit and then others aren't. And then it feels like they're safe. All it needs is one decision by one Russian and it's too late. So after watching Mariupol and then Kharkov and then Sumy and then Chernigov, my training with OM was be ahead of the wave. And we were saying, guys, we need to be ahead of the wave. You're feeling brave right now. But I tell you, when the bombs go off, it will change in an instant and you will really regret or worse. Now, if that has happened, any new location now needs to understand what the Russians will do when they come. For me, if they were going to cross the river to attack Kiev, they would have to cross somewhere south, okay? Well, yeah. that puts my town right there. We are watching that like hawks. That's why we okay. moved. It was on our contingency plan. That is what we are seeing. We evacuated our short-term missionaries who had been in the country for less than three years. And then the bombs started going off. And so, yeah, you make hard decisions and you go by that. And welcome back to Dwell on Truth, Pastor Wayne Sheck. Had to jump through a few hoops, but I'm in a city that I don't normally go to. But um, so far, the cell network is holding up. So that's really cool. Thank you for getting up so early for me. Let's capture your time, get you out of that unknown city. Where are you? Yeah, actually, it was. I think it was hit by rockets yesterday for the first time. I need to check. I was not expecting to be sitting here in this city today. So it's called Khmelnytsky, halfway between Vinitsa and Ternopol. We had to pick up a van last week and my car broke on that trip, not the new van. And so, yeah, these are little things that you learn about war scenarios, logistics. Yeah, that's life. But as you know, in Eastern Europe, things work slower. Some things work and some things don't. Well, firstly, uh, the electricity is still on. The internet is still on. I don't know who was doing this war campaign for the invaders, but those things were on the to-do list for them very early on. So we're just using these opportunities. However, the banking system, internet banking also uh, still works to a certain degree, but you can't get currency out. Therefore, you can't buy assets. Therefore, you got to bring it in from over the border. But just recently, they've changed that for some of us and you can start to get a few thousand dollars a day out. So try saving up for a van that you needed three weeks ago. But when the bomb sirens, sorry, the air raid sirens, go off everything closes everyone goes home or there was your whole day you were waiting in line to get money from the bank (laughs) the the air raid sirens yeah just little things that happen um during during a war situation and yeah you've just got to stay faithful in the little things and let the lord use you yeah but we have food we have electricity uh, the sewerage is working uh, and now my car is working and I didn't have to uh, limit myself with a 20 liters of fuel and, and canisters uh, and rejoin the line every time. So we're in a new phase. Yeah, I was told I'm as a spiritual worker of a large organization that does crises uh, ministry in dozens of countries. So OM has decades now of experience. We've got to be very careful about what we say politically. Okay. So that's one of the biggest problems that we have. When you come into other cultures like you're seeing now, clashes of civilizations, East and West, you've got Ukraine trying 
and it's stumbling forward. Well, now it's fighting for its life, very existence. But the people want truth. The people want values. The people want the same rules for everybody. And we get that in our Western society from what the Bible said from Western culture is that our lives and our society was built on truth. And that truth was taken from the Bible that God said one thing, and this is what he meant. Therefore, this is what I'm going to do. Whereas for the other side, words, I mean, go back to the communist era, words were what you said so that when the KGB came knocking on your door, you didn't disappear or go to Siberia. You said whatever you needed to say. Pragmatism. And that's, oh yeah. So it is one of the instruments that you have in your arsenal so that you can survive. Well, if you're the aggressor, then it's one of the things that you use as a part of an all-war strategy. So their goal is, you know, what are words for? They're used to deflect attention. They're there to find weak spots. They're there to feel their way forward and distract you while they continue to do what they were, you know, oh, plan A didn't work. Okay, let's try plan B. Let's try plan plan C. And for honest people, that is very draining because we actually put meaning into words. Right. They, they mean things, whereas for the others, it, that's definitely not the case. And as believers, we know human nature is sinful and we're always looking for ways to test the boundaries and borders and see how much we can get away with as a parent i'm yep. sure you've seen this in your own kids <laughs> oh yes um i i think i think my kids even see it in me uh-huh. I see it in myself. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you have, true. tell us more about Operation Mobilization. I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. How many countries in the world is OM in? Yeah, we're in more than 110 different countries in different forms. So uh, basically we go in and our goal is to empower the church. Our internal vision statement is we want to see vibrant communities of Jesus followers among the least reached. So that means where there is a church, we try to empower the church, uh, where there isn't a church, what do we do? We send trailblazers in and they start things and many of them stay. So people like me, uh, you know, we've been in country now for almost 30 years, but there was a church here and a big church history, but in some places there hasn't been. So people that go in as trailblazers and they stay 30 years later, they're actually world renowned experts in certain cultures. And OM does a lot of cultural training because you can't be an Australian and an American and just put your template of what right. life and worship is it just right. uh, you know we don't see the world as it is we see the world as we are oh okay my view on the world is not god's truth it's just a facet and a mixture anyway so yeah. om lots of countries where did it start so in i think 57 um it started 1957 and in ukraine it's been here since um in the in the 90s so uh, i've been in omr so i were i'm a calvary chapel pastor yeah. um australian which is a bit of an interesting mix because we're supported by uh, different churches. They were looking for what does accountability look like? God was opening doors because of my innovation and we did mushroom growing and uh, and now we're doing a pyrolysis plastic waste project. We're looking beyond what often is seen as, as normal mission work. And so we're, we're networking with uh, what's available now. And uh, we believe that God has a big plan for Ukrainians. So what, what do we do? We're trying to inspire them into missions. We're trying to equip them into missions and then connect them into missions. So Wonderful. Thank you for explaining that and sharing more. And for those who didn't hear the last episode, it was about three or four days into the invasion. I was still learning a lot. Uh, 
you taught me the term internally displaced people. Well, they're still refugees, right? But they're inside yep. the Ukraine. How many people now are internally displaced? How many millions? Yeah. So if we're looking, I, I think the latest figures over the border now are four million, uh, and inside the border is more than six million. So that's a sizable portion, getting close to like a third of the country is internally displaced, yeah. and that means more than half of all of the children in the country are not living in their homes. Yeah. And also more than half of the people that had jobs now do not have their jobs. So beyond the danger of what we're seeing happen and you're seeing that unfold live on your computer screens. So that's sort of the same information that we get, but the implications on what this will do as war continues. Um, so there's a lot more than just bullets flying around right. and people diving into bomb shelters. Um, I mean, society is a very complicated thing and people need jobs, some sort of security. You're living out of your suitcase. You know, where do we go tomorrow if there's an advance or how long do we stay here before it's safe to go back? Right. And how many people can't go back? What about creating jobs? What about places that, you know, they've had the whole infrastructures destroyed? What do they do? And then beyond that, you're looking at people who have left Ukraine and um, they're not feeling afraid now, but they're stuck in a foreign culture with a lot of goodwill, but um, they can't do anything. What do you do with your kids? And is this enough money to, to survive on? And how do we plan and do anything? So those sort of things. Yeah, these human stories of moms and, and their children and, and their, their pets. I heard every other a family has a dog <laughs> or a cat and, you know, it's like a member of their family that, you know, you what can you grab when you have to flee your home? One bag, yep. a kid, a teddy bear, and gosh, yep. these human stories are just heartbreaking. Your heart goes out and, you, you know, people are shocked at what Ukraine is going through, shocked that they've held off the uh, Russian army and had some wins, shocked and heartbroken. So what can we do? And we want to know what you're doing because we know you are being mm -hmm. hands and feet and you have a team of people in several cities. So, yeah, we recognize the great need. Praise God you got a van. Now, Praise God we have one van. <laughs> yeah, a van. Yeah. And that van is going to be put to good use, I'm sure. What do you need in terms of to fill that van to get it to these women and children, especially that have fled? Or are you also, being that you're inside the country, are there just as many men as women and children that you're ministering to? Oh, it's a complicated situation, of course, because Ukrainian men of military age are not allowed to leave the country. Right. And that complicates things. Some people should never go to war, just the whole thing of morale amongst them, but others should. And others find their best use in doing what the volunteer type work that, that we are doing. And so we're seeing a lot of that amongst the Christians. You get quite innovative at that sort of stuff, which is great. And that's how we missionaries have always been, being innovative, flexible, seeing the needs, answering them. And then as those doors open, those things develop. And so now over these 30 plus days, we've seen certain people's businesses closed down and they've relocated. And now they're doing things uh, using their gifting for this next period that will 
turbo boost the whole process of society uh, regrouping so that it can withstand. So that can be militarily, it can be with food, it can be with medicine, and it can be child care. You've got all of those things. I imagine you've surrounded yourself with others. Like, can you tell us some specific stories right now? Yeah, I'd love to hear some specifics of how God is using you guys. Yeah, my early situation was that all of my men involved in our production, they have now taken up arms to defend the town. So there's no production going on. Me being a missions uh, a missionary in charge of a mission organization, my role is a little bit different from where it was eight years in Kiev in a connecting. We have now connections with both those that are making body armor. Uh-huh. They've been able to source that. That is something that is really, really helpful right now. Yesterday, I sent money to a guy who is doing that effectively. It's like, I know that that is going to be of great use in the next week or, or so. And to hear the vision uh, of how they've done that with New Testaments is great. We're also connecting with those that are creating logistics centers so that aid can come in and then our goal because we are situated physically in central Ukraine, but we have connections in eastern Ukraine. Our goal is not to recreate the logistics that need to be coming through, but we then are getting that aid and we're sending it forward to empower pastors who have stayed behind with their churches. So there are internally displaced people. Um, But these towns like my town of Kogorlik, just 80 kilometers south of Kiev, is now swelled to double or triple the population. And again, these are families and children that have, you know, their lives have been turned upside down and there are long lines. So the logistics centers have been really stretched. Yeah. But also Kiev has basically been incapacitated. So what does that mean for millions of people? And this is a great opportunity for the churches that have stayed that we can now provide them with food, non-food essentials and hygiene and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that's where our emphasis now is that we plug in as fast as we can to aid the people that need it now. Within a month and a half, probably the World Food Programme those big organizations are finally going to kick in. And they're saying that at least 12 million Ukrainians will need aid. But the beautiful thing about the Christians is that we're so spontaneous and we're so flexible and we're so needs orientated that we get this wonderful opportunity not only to alleviate the greatest needs now, we don't have to feed the people forever, but then that will again move on to in the future. So war is such a terrible thing that um, you've seen the destruction, but you can also understand that there are people traffickers that traffic people as they try to cross the border. As evil as it can get. And then in places all around the world with this sort of stuff, you've got people making money hand over fist because of smuggling and corruption and all that sort of stuff. So this is a a thing that Ukraine is trying to flush out in this situation. The values of saving the country are very prevalent. Wow. But you also have the the generations of milking the system. This is the first time I've ever heard of milking the system as a positive because um, <laughs> when you've got a society where the people at the top rake off money and then down the, the, the line a little bit, they rake off money. And by the time it gets to the people that needed, whether it was military hardware or whether it was aid or food or whatever, on the aid side, you've got people that have gotten rich and the aid that was needed didn't get there in anywhere near the capacity that it 
it was supposed to. So this is being purged. That's, this has been the history. Yeah. This is why Ukraine is in this area of struggle between two worldviews, one of tyranny and, and, um, and the past and the West, where what we said is what we did. Basically, that's yeah. the way that it's supposed to be. It's different for you, though, right? Because you, the support that's coming in through OM, for example, that goes straight into your bank account. And you're able to withdraw that money without any intermediaries holding that. Well, it does cost some money to get it from one end of the world to the other into the hands of the people. There are those things. But the beautiful thing is that not only do we live in an instant society where you give $100 today, you feel satisfied by that, but tomorrow you want to see through your trusted representative that right. that aid got to somebody. So this is the upside of this. It takes a few weeks, doesn't it? Well, it depends. But yes, it does take a little bit of time. Yeah. But the beautiful thing about this whole thing of accountability and transparency is that you give money and you're giving it through somebody that you know that you can trust. trust. And the Christians, the Christians are doing a much, 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 much better job with this whole accountability thing yes. because we believe in a different set of kingdom values right. than the world. And so that's how the church shines yes. through this time. So just because apparently more is going to come through another source somewhere down the line, in the end, that doesn't actually mean that proportionally more people are going to have their real needs met. And we have this beauty of we are empowering as an arm to empower the fingers that are actually handing the bread of life uh, to people and they can hear the word of life. So that's something that is is very, very dear to me. And now that phase is really plugging in. We want to accelerate that and we want to compound that. So not only is it my van, we're looking for another van. We have a truck that was a five-ton truck that was being repaired. It's now ready, but we don't have to do it on our own. There are other networks. Mm -hmm. And in the end, all of these Christians amongst the different denominations and crossing the denominations, we have our networks where we as a whole are influencing and helping tens of thousands and over the next uh, weeks that will be hundreds of thousands or more yes. people wow. and many of these people have never stepped foot in an evangelical church or a mission center and a lot so of that's them are really stepping into them. churches and mission centers as you've converted your church for example into a refugee housing right there's, that's correct there's beds yeah. set up there I know Benjamin Morrison did the same I've talked with some other friends of mine that had to flee from and Preluki, and yep. they're staying in a church building. You know, it's become yep. a refugee center. So, is that true among a lot of the pastors that you know that they've found places for people to stop and rest and wash and eat and all that? Along these whole lines, you've got a broad spectrum. Whether you've had to flee yourself or move or stay, everyone is finding their place as this whole thing has been turned upside down and shaken up. So, we have church members that didn't feel safe. They've gone there in Ternopil, and they're now working with Calvary Chapel as refugees themselves, as yes. internally displaced people. Yeah. But they don't want to go to Europe. They are helping there. And you're seeing this amazing sort of grafting or a regrafting. It's a totally new mapping that's going on. But this is a model that was developed from 2014 after the revolution of dignity and the war in the East. So this same concept, and I've just got off the phone to a pastor who is helping 
plant churches in eastern Ukraine where that former border was, oh. that, that temporary border, they are staying there. Wow. Um, and um, when we talked about the regrouping of the forces, that will be the concentrated area of attack over the next weeks and months. That's what we're seeing. So they have a very fluid situation themselves. Yeah. But we're asking, how is it that we can help you? We've got our lines now, right. our role. You're on our list of uh, people that, that we trust. You have been standing physically in the gap. We Christianize these words, have spiritualized them, but we there are people that have earned their stripes that we have helped empower over the last few years. And these people are staying, but they also know at the same time, they are moving people out. They are providing food. How do we empower them in their vision to help the people where the need is? I don't have to be the soldier in the trenches, right? Yeah. I have people, guys, that are doing that. Okay. So just going over again, over these last years, we have seen where courage and faith has been applied and the, the beautiful gospel has come into places of pain and of hopelessness in the yeah. past where there has been no gospel message. We want to continue to empower those guys okay. um, wherever they will be uh, because uh, for them, the war will never be over. They have been living under this cloud for so long and of this fear politics where, okay, we where will you be? How can we help you? Right. And there are dozens of these people. And for me, that's, that is something that is very satisfying because in the end, the church doesn't need to know about the foreigners. They need to see Jesus in the people yes. that are taking care of them. That is fine with me. That fits me to a T. Amen. That is very good that you're working with them. I'm thinking of all these Bible verses where it says like in Acts 15, 26, describes men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus. Christ. Romans 16.4, who risked their necks for my life, to whom I not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. And Philippians 2.30, talking about his fellow worker he, that nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And I think it's in First John where he says that we ought to su support such people who are bringing the gospel to places that you and I wouldn't and shouldn't go to. And, you know, I'm just thinking of times when, like in Acts 8, where when Paul started ravaging the church, the apostles stayed and the Christians spread everywhere. And everywhere they went, they preached Jesus and people got saved and churches were planted. The devil shoots himself in the foot. And so I'm just thinking of just biblically, how do you frame this? What scriptures are galvanizing as far as the mission of God, how it's more than just getting people to come into the building. What scriptures are you sharing with your men to encourage them? And uh, you've just shared some really important ones. The one about the spreading of the gospel during Paul's persecution. I've been preaching from that for ages because it seems like it's a paradox of weren't the apostles told to go, but they didn't. Yeah. They, you know, depending on how you read into that, I choose with lots of grace to say that for the first time, the apostles it was not the circumstances that dictated what they were going to do. So the job wasn't done in Jerusalem. So they thought, so we're staying here. Now, there's no initial judgment for them, depending on your commentaries. But for me, it's like, okay, that fits with me. Can I say that it wasn't the circumstances? We have stayed. Another thing is I have moved my family so that my wife and my children feel safe. Okay, that fits in with 
the second picture, you think about what a Jewish Christian, what lengths he went to to save his family from possible death. He took them to Samaria, and that's not what the Jews did. So there, there is that mandate to look after your family. But the beautiful thing is the gospel shined through them. They took the good news with them wherever they went. And that's how missions movement starts. Yeah. God had plan A, he said, go. Then we say, okay, you didn't go. So he used his persecution. In Acts 8, if you change, you're not supposed to do this, but I it just, <laughs> you, I, cannot, I cannot look beyond this at the moment. If you change persecution for war and you're seeing the first deaths and you're seeing the horrors and the atrocities, what happened? The Christians were moved and they were shaken up and what happened out of this you had the new missions movement happen and it went beyond the borders of of Jewish nationalism it went into Samaria and then basically from there it went out so we are praying that this terrible thing it can be to a large degree since Jesus is Lord over all human history we have been praying for the changing of Ukrainian society for the yeah. transformation but we've also been praying that the Christians would be salt and light and that the missions movements would begin there are now tens of thousands of Christians in Europe where Europe is called to the gospel. They, they're looking at Christianity as a thing of the past that you want to you know, you want to get rid of. But there are tens of thousands of Christians who are wanting to take in Ukrainians, despite the language and cultural barriers. These people have been impacted by the gospel multiple times in their history, in their journey. And now they will be staying with Christians. We will see the effects in future time of salvation and of lives yes. transformed and of new churches planted. Yes. We will see this not only in Ukraine out of this great heartache and tragedy, you will see yes. things in Russia and other countries. It will spill over through such torment. Jesus is with us when you know yes. he didn't promise a, an easy life. He said, you know, in these things, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Yep. And so we trust that as we hand over to the Lord, that he will use us. You know, not one word will fall down uh, without it affecting, creating the uh, the results that he wants. Yes, we Isaiah will see 55. things happen. Yep. His word won't return void like the rain waters the That's earth correct. and doesn't return without accomplishing what he sent it forth. And you yep. have been sent to Ukraine and your beautiful wife and children are there. And in a sense, you are internally displaced because you've had to move your family and you're staying with another two families. Last time we <laughs> talked, there was some other people in the background yeah. in a small house. Yeah, there are nine of us and how many square feet, 70, 70 square meters, um, how many, 800 square feet. <laughs> and it's quite challenging, but yeah. there's a lot of grace being poured on this because everyone knows that we need to survive. But we are also trying to measure how long yes. do we stay? When is it safe to go back? I mean, there's no bank right. in my town, in, in my village. I can't get access to hard currency. I, we have a van now. Aid is coming through. I want to be in those trucks as we meet those pastors. Right. Again, give them a big hug. In the I pipeline. On that. Yeah. Yep. And then we go from one thing to the next thing. So sitting in a village with the possibility of diving into the cellar in case there's a rocket attack, that's not what we're looking at. Um, right. We're looking at, okay, how do we, you know, you're always measuring what are we going to be doing? Lord, what is it that you would have us to do? And then the other scripture verse is by many or by few, the Lord can bring salvation. Amen. He, Joshua and his armor bearer. He's able to yep, save. Yep. We look at the concept of, Am I being faithful today? And Lord, in this nothing.
nothingness. I mean, I am nothing. I'm sitting in a car. I'm not doing anything. I'm not changing the result of this war. But everybody applying their faith with the little, with the nothing. We come with our couple fish and few loaves, right? Yeah, and the and Lord somehow the the Lord does that. Yes, um, and and that is, and we have seen that before. The country should have collapsed in 2014. God miraculously stepped in, and the Christians were, you know, the one place in Scripture where it talks about zakwaska. What's that in English? Zakwaska. The kneaded into the dough when you oh, make leaven. Uh, right, right, leaven. Right. Oh, sorry, guys. Yeah. A, English used to be. My, it's only my native language. I've forgotten it. I think you get that from some of the other missionaries too. Um, so it talks about as you are needed and worked into the surroundings around you. What do you see? You see the the, the kingdom of heaven show itself forth. And the Christians have the privilege right now of being super proactive in this crisis. Unlike other crises in Muslim countries, you can't be openly Christian. Here, the Christians can be as Christian as we want. Amen. Loving people and shining, and let the Lord, you know, shine forth uh, with the fruit that He has ordained for us. And we have the privilege of being here, and you have the privilege of praying, and yes. you have the resources to equip your brothers who are then empowering our brothers and sisters right there amongst the people where the needs are the greatest. Yes, and I want to be stirring up Americans because five weeks after this all began, I see a temptation in American society particular, since we're on the other side of the pond, you know, Ukraine still is one of the top headlines, but stupid things like Will Smith smacking Chris Rock, it's like everyone's talking about that now. It's like, come on, we need to really be aware of that we can make a difference. You're not just a guy sitting in a car, Wayne. You are on the front lines, ministering to people on the front lines of the, a war families that are affected and we can make a difference in individual lives like if someone wanted to give a hundred dollars to help you and your family and the work that you're doing there that will get there it will make a difference it will help the spread of the gospel and the christians to be that shining light and example so i hope that as people hear your heart and your passion that they don't get lulled into complacency or distraction or escapism but we're going to be praying for you i'm following you on facebook and those are really valuable things to share. Those OM videos, people can help even if they don't have much money. They can click and forward those links and share what Wayne and Olga are doing. And so we're with you. We're behind you. We love you. I want to do everything that I can to support you guys, but I'm a missionary myself. So I'm just trying to find those resources and direct as much as I can to my friends who I, I love and care for. And gosh, there's people in your lives that you love and care for. So let's be the hands and feet of Jesus and not just say, I love you, but if you see a brother or sister in need and you don't do something, but you shut up your heart, where is the love of God in you? So may yeah. the church in the West be woken up. You know, this alarm that you're facing is activating a lot of people who were just kind of, not all of them were activated before. I, I hope that that spreads, that ripple effect spreads through the churches in the States, honestly. Yep. You need to pray for us too. I mean, we are 30-something days into war. The adrenaline is not here. I do not have explosions happening next to me to get an adrenaline rush every day. We look at the news. The map hasn't changed much. Pray for those who are here. Compassion fatigue is a major issue. Yes. 
different levels that we go through. And what may have been a sprint to survive is now a marathon and there's no end in sight. And even when the end comes, it's only the beginning. And so, I mean, I can leave. I can. I can walk out this country. I'm not military. I don't need to join the Ukrainian military. I'm a, I'm a foreigner. For many of us, I can walk away. I can take my family with me, but we have a calling. And for many of us here, we just have this calling. This is the place. If Ukraine doesn't survive, it's over for the country. Yeah. But on top of that, we've seen wars happen all the time throughout history. This is something that humankind does to each other. But for the tens or more thousands of Christians that are now we are getting to do something that some that hopefully you will never have to do but it's not a sprint anymore yeah. the work is just beginning and we need god's empowering we need the prayers of the saints and we need the partnerships that we have uh, this ability in our modern time through a few clicks you can empower people to do things on the other side of the planet yes. um and you really do have the power to influence god through you definitely that's the case so yes. thanks a lot uh, brandon you're welcome thank you so much for giving so much of your time to sharing and giving us an update on what's happening in Ukraine and with you personally. I'll let you go so you can get your car home. You have a many kilometers to travel still today, and may God supply all of your needs and those who you're able to pass along, help to disperse through several cities. God bless you. And if you'd like to give to the Sheck family, you can go to om.org.au slash team slash Sheck which is spelled Z-S-C-H-E-C-H hyphen family, or find the link at dwellontruth.org. And my second guest, Ben Morrison from Calvary Chapel, Svitlovotsk, Ukraine. And welcome back, everyone, to Dwell on Truth. It's been a month, more than a month, since the invasion of Russia into Ukraine. And as I interviewed Benjamin Morrison, pastor and missionary from Indiana, now in Svitlovotsk, been there for 20 years, we have him back to give us an update on how he's doing, his family, his church, how they're ministering to internally displaced people. That's a term I learned. There are refugees outside the country, but do you call them IDPs or do you just call them your neighbors? Uh, <laughs> well, we don't. That that term doesn't translate into Russian or Ukrainian, okay. really. Colloquially, we don't. We call them refugees, whether they're still within the country or whether they're, all right, you know, outside of the country. They're fleeing to somewhere for safety, and you're, yeah, staying put, hunkering down to minister to your people and to them. So, indeed, please feel free to give us an update. So, the last time we talked, uh, you were having going into the bomb shelter every day. Right. Are there still, you know, what do you call them? The sirens going off every morning? Uh, air raid sirens. Air raid sirens. Yeah. So, I mean, we we still have most days, um, most days we have at least one air raid siren. Um, there was, there was a, there's a stretch of about two and a half days there, maybe like a week ago where there was nothing, no air raid sirens. That was weird. Um, <laughs> yeah people are actually a little more freaked out when there were no air sirens they're like what does this mean what you know what's gonna happen is the system working yeah 
So, you know, there's still air raid sirens, you know, Brenton, as I mentioned to you, uh, thankfully, our city has avoided any direct bombing, Yes, which really has led to the fact that most people just kind of ignore the air raid sirens in reality. Um, very few people actually even go to the bomb shelter anymore. Although we did go down last night just to see our neighbors who we hadn't seen in a while. <laughs> um, you know, and, and that's the case in a lot of places in Ukraine as well as yeah. people in cities that have been hit harder, you know, they've learned to discern the sound of, you know, when a when a rocket's coming or going, um, you know, the air, the air defense system versus, you know, a bomb coming in. So, mm -hmm. you know, not, not the skill set you actually want to have to develop, but that's the reality. So, yeah. Uh, just yesterday, my pastor, Nate Holdridge in Calvary, Monterey, was talking about being dedicated to the mission. And he said, you know, it's the same mission in times of war as in times of peace. We're to go make disciples, preach the gospel to all people for the salvation of souls and for people to follow the Lord. And when you're in a time of war, that doesn't mean that should stop and you change your mission to something else. Although you might add some more practical ways of ministering to people like some mission are helping with bulletproof vests. <laughs> True. Are you uh, engaged in any efforts to help people who are injured or you're not that close to the fighting? I mean, we, you know, we, we don't necessarily have any medical training, uh, first of all. So people that, that you know, get injured during bombings um, are, are taken to hospitals. Um, we're also not that close to the, you know, again, um, to the areas that are being bombed. I mean, the, the closest bomb that fell to us was maybe like, 60 kilometers away well that's close enough to be concerned so what is that like 40 miles or something uh -huh. yeah so you know but i mean relatively speaking that's that's not particularly close yeah, yeah. what does your week look like now and you've one month into this invasion this war are things starting to settle as far as knowing where that front line is kind of keeping track of are you still doing church services weddings funerals yeah i mean we've we've had our regular sunday church service every sunday since the war started um you know that's not going anywhere and they're still online that's it's good to see yeah we all we also do a live stream for you know for those who um are just kind of scattered abroad we've we've had people from our city and from our church um that have you know, felt that they need to get further west. Um, you know, so we've got people kind of dispersed over Europe right now. It's not a majority, but we had, you know, I don't know, maybe 25, 27 people um, that, you know, are now in, you know, different places, Germany, Poland, mm -hmm. Portugal. So, you know, and then plus, obviously, the millions that are abroad um, and maybe have not yet found, you know, Russian or Ukrainian speaking local church. Uh, hopefully we can minister to them that way as well. Yes. I mean, this is obvious, obviously the whole live stream thing. We actually had to kind of get that figured out when um, when Corona started. So, right. you know, that that's that system was already up and running. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So maybe Ukrainians, wherever they are, they can tune in and, and watch your services. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the many ways that we're hoping to serve people. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned that at the end of the day, the ultimate goal of the ministry remains the same, which is true. And I actually just preached on this, not yesterday, but the, the week before, you know, the heart of ministry as we're going through second Corinthians on Sundays. Now, mm -hmm. any quote unquote ministry that's done for any other ultimate goal than to, you know, delight in Christ and make him known, uh, is ultimately not Christian ministry. Mm -hmm. You know, it might be good activity, but, but it's not Christian ministry in the sense that the ultimate goal perhaps is not glorifying Christ. So, 
Mm. You know, but again, what that looks like, obviously, in a time of war is going to look much different than, you know, kind of in your in your average everyday things are a peaceful world. Right. So we're, we're housing refugees still at this point. We've had, I think it's around 140 refugees that have stayed in the church building. Mm-hmm. You know, we feed them, we, mm-hmm. we pray with them, you know, try to just, just minister to them by listening to their stories, yeah. sometimes weeping with them. You, uh, I mean, I guess, I guess a couple of things maybe that at this stage are different than in the very beginning is first of all, there's been a noticeable difference in the pattern of refugees. So in the very beginning, it was mostly young people who were getting out right away because the people who are already of, you know, retirement age, kind of their thought normally as well, you know, where am I going at this point in my life? I'm already old. This is my home. I don't want to leave. Right. But, you know, but after a while, you know, after enough bombs have fallen, next to your house uh, and you've been sleeping in the bomb shelter for days on end, like even those people just say, you know what, enough is enough. So yeah, as time has gone on, we've had more older uh, people coming as refugees. One couple that came with half the windows in their car blown out by a rocket had bullet holes in the side of it. Oh my goodness. As things progressively, unfortunately, in, at least in certain parts, you know, continue to get worse. But I would also say one other change is that as things fill up in the West of the country, you know, Ukraine, because of there's war going on, uh, has a rule that men between the ages of 18 and 60 cannot leave the country. So people wanting to leave the country, women and children or older folks, those who want to stay together as their whole family are filling up in the West of Ukraine. But it's really getting full. If there are now almost 4 million external refugees in the sense that they've left the country, the number for internally displaced, as you mentioned, is 12 million. Oh my goodness, that's double what I had heard. Yeah, so... um, so, you know, more and more, there's actually nowhere for people to go yeah. far west. So they're looking for other options. And because our city is, you know, central Ukraine, because it's been peaceful, no bombings, it's actually kind of becoming one of those destinations. So as time's gone on, the beginning, they kind of stayed for one night and then got moving as fast as they could. Now they tend to stay longer. Yeah. So, you know, we've had people that stay for two, three, four, you know, sometimes even over a week. And then we've actually at this stage helped, I think it's probably five or six different families find permanent housing here in the city. They've just said like, okay, well, this is, you know, Sweet Lovotska is where we're relocating to. Like, this is our, you know, temporary home. Yeah. So are you gaining new church members? Is your church more or less people now? We are. Yeah. So like I said, I mean, some of our our previous, you know, regular church members, um, some of them have moved on further west to parts of Europe. Right. Uh, but that does not mean that the church has gotten smaller. It's actually gotten larger. Mm. Um, so we've had, you know, more people from among the refugees kind of coming and that's not, it needs to be stated. That's not necessarily, not even primarily refugees who were already believers, right. you know, in another city, although we, we have some of those as well, but we've seen people coming to faith in Christ, even from among the refugees that, right. that have stayed in our building. You know, we've seen about, I think it's about five people uh, that have come to faith in Christ over the last month. Praise the Lord. And obviously many, many more, you know, seeds sown besides that. Yeah. Now, for those who don't know, uh, because we are on a secular station, a lot of people think, oh, well, are they all Christians over there? You know, not a lot of people know what Eastern Orthodoxy is. 
uh, what they really believe, or if they're just nominally Christian, their beliefs are if orthodox. How would you describe the population before this is in terms of how many are born-again Christians and what the typical Ukrainian Orthodox person believes? Right. So thanks for reminding me kind of kind of the context. Yeah. Yeah. So Ukraine is primarily Eastern Orthodox Christian, uh, right? So it's one of Eastern Orthodoxy is one of the three main branches of Christianity, being the others being Roman Catholicism and then Protestant Protestant Church. So I think the official number is something like 70-ish percent of Ukraine considers themselves Eastern Orthodox. But for the majority of people, that is just tradition, kind of a tradition. It's kind of, you know, well, I was born here, therefore, mm-hmm. I mean, it really, this is the case with religion anywhere. So wherever the predominant religion is, yeah, you're always going to find a lot of people who, you know, maybe consider themselves that, but there's really not a lot underneath it. Um, it's like, well, I was born here, you know, at, le- at least until, you know, fairly recent past in, in the U.S., you know, well, I was born in the U.S., therefore, right. I am a Christian. I'm a Protestant, you know, or I'm born again, which again, just because somebody uses the term doesn't necessarily mean that they are. Right. Um, So they may get up early on Easter and go out and have their eggs sprinkled by the Ukrainian Orthodox priest. Yeah. Um, But then, and they greet each other saying, Christos Vaskres, Jesus is risen. And they say, in truth, he's (laughs) risen. But then you ask, do you really believe that? And they say, no. Where do you go after you die? To the ground. That's a very common answer that I used to get over there. Yeah, I mean, you know, to to because you were in Latvia, right, Brenton? I was in uh, Ukraine for three years in Priluki right. and Nizhyn and then Latvia for six years. Right. Yes. So Ukraine is is a little bit more religious uh, than Latvia, from what I from what I understand. Um, especially in the West. there's a lot more Orthodox there. Yes. The, well, yeah, and just kind of in general, especially in Western Ukraine, you'll find people hmm. kind of more religious, just as far as you know, actually maintaining some kind of practices. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a couple points, you know, that they would agree with, maybe even a, a good handful of yeah. sort of points of, you know, yes, there is God. Yes, there will be judgment. You know, yes, Christ, you know, okay, I, I agree. You know, he, he died and then he rose again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, even if you have kind of some of the pieces of the puzzle, doesn't mean that you have the puzzle put together. Right. And the wouldn't you say the resurrection is kind of an essential one? If you deny that, then Paul said we're of all men to be pitied if there's no resurrection. That's one thing that particularly in this time of war, Breton, you know, that that as I've kind of, you know, both during our church services and then just in sharing with people, if we don't have a hope that's stronger than death, then what are we actually offering people? Right. Nothing of comfort. Right. So, you know, it's not just like, oh, well, let's be optimistic about, you know, maybe we can build things back better. Yeah. Well, maybe, hopefully. I mean, we're praying for that. But ultimately, you know, you don't know which house a bomb is going to fall on. Yeah. But but the ultimate hope is that we have we have a God who who came to earth and and overcame death itself, uh, you know, as you said in the resurrection. Yes. It's that truth standing on that that actually gives one hope, mm-hmm. you know, and courage in, in a time of of war and destruction and death. So speaking of preaching the gospel in context and being relevant to what the people are facing, whether it's death or war or great evil, I know one of the arguments even over there that I heard that just sometimes, honestly, it provoked me is 
Some people would say, if God is good, why would he allow such evil? They're staring it in the face. So how do you answer that question when people are truly struggling? They're not just asking that. Right. For those who are asking sincerely, what's the answer to that? I mean, it's a very good question, especially if it's being asked sincerely. You know, the ultimate answer is, I mean, <clears throat> you know, going back to maybe the cultural differences here, Brenton, with, with Eastern Orthodoxy, there is actually kind of a background of well, if you're suffering, it must be punishment for some sin. So like people that are, you know, very nominal Eastern Orthodox believers will, you know, I had one of my neighbors ask me like, what sins is this war for? You know? Yeah. And so I, I got to explain, you know, um, to my neighbor, um, that's not how it works. First of all, right. if God were in fact to actually judge us as we deserve for our sins, it would be much, much worse. worse than war. You know, they, they say here and, and they have the saying in English as well, that war is hell. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, in some ways, yes, but actual hell is actually a lot worse than more, you know, which is yeah. which is in reality what we deserve. But, you know, the good news being that Christ came, you know, and he took that hell on himself on the cross so that we wouldn't have to go through that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the cross actually shows us that all the punishment that we do deserve, you know, God has already taken. Yes. You know, and so we don't need to go around try to, trying to pick through the difficult patches in our life saying, oh, well, you know, this must be God punishing me for this or that or the other. Well, well, no, because A, you know, Christ already bore our punishment. And, and if you believe in that, the good news is you'll never have to bear the punishment for it. You know, but secondly, if somebody does not take advantage of God's grace in that way that he wants us to take advantage of, then when actual judgment comes, it will be much worse. Now, so if you're talking to an atheist, for example, and they're still just, you know, wanting to be argumentative about that, would you still consider taking them in as a refugee or are you only taking care of professing Christians? Uh, no, we take everyone because Christ calls us to love our neighbors. <laughs> he doesn't say love only the ones who are believers. Right. He says, love those who hate you. Even. You know, and this is actually, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, we don't like <laughs> do interviews with people before we take them in as a refugee as to where they stand, you know, mm -hmm. uh, within their worldview. Um, and we, and we don't, you know, kind of jump on people when they come in, Yeah, you know, like, well, let's, let's, you know, figure out where you're at. And so I can evangelize you as fast as possible. I mean, these are people that are coming, you know, shaken, they've been hiding in bomb shelters, you yeah. know, they just need to sit somewhere quiet, they need to, you know, have a good hot meal, mm -hmm. you know, they need to be listened to, they need to be prayed for. And you know, the Lord does open doors for yeah. conversation, we don't force that on people at all. Usually, I mean, every every time that I've ended up kind of sharing the gospel with people, it's been people asking a question, you know, like, Sometimes, because, again, because Protestantism here is so much in a minority, it's only about 2% of the population. Yeah. A lot of times that conversation will start with, you know, what kind of a church is this? You know, how are how are you guys different? So then we kind of start off on that, yeah. on that direction. And I like how you said, I'm looking at your Facebook post about a month in. By the way, I recommend people check out facebook.com slash Benjamin D. Morrison. You posted a nice article here about a month in, and you said you're having a lot of long apologetic type conversations with people always at their request of course right yeah just apologetics what is that so uh, apologetics i mean the word comes from a greek word which means defense so it's it's kind of a defense of the faith it was originally kind of used in a in a courtroom term yeah. to give a defense for one's position so that's what the term apologetics is really kind of to defend the christian worldview in that sense 
But, you know, Brent, to go back to the original question that you asked about suffering and if God is good, you know, why all this suffering? Mm -hmm. Like I said, because of the context, that's actually not a question that I've heard a lot during this war. Okay. But it is a good question. And, and you know, depending on the tone in which one asks it, uh, there are differing answers. Yeah. You know, I did have a conversation with one guy who was an atheist. I don't know that he stated it exactly like that, but it was basically that question. If God is good, why all the suffering? why all this evil you know and my my question in response is if there is not a good god how can you call anything evil right yes of course there's there's ample unfortunately illustrations around us right now you know do you do you believe that putin bombing maternity wards and peaceful citizens is evil obviously right. yes it is evil it's not it's not just inconvenient although it's also that it is evil yeah now i have no problem saying that because i believe i believe that you know there is a god who is both judge and lawgiver uh he's creator ultimately he's the source of morality objective morality you know so even if and again statistics within an authoritarian state are maybe not always trustworthy but if indeed a majority of Russians support Putin, as at least some of the statistics say, mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't make it right just because a majority thinks that it is right. Correct. Um, there, there is an actual objective standard that that says this is evil despite what people say. Yeah, because God exists. Which is easy to say because God exists, but if you don't believe that there is a God who is good and, and is the source of that ultimate moral standard, then the most you can actually say is this is very inconvenient. I wish that it would stop yes you know and you can't actually call it evil in any objective sense so that was that was one of the conversations that that you know i had with one of the refugees that came it was a really interesting guy it was a good conversation yeah and it's a bonus for your ministry team that they're getting a crash course in apologetics too because of all of these questions and and you're giving us a course on apologetics from the middle of a war-torn country and so Thank you for that, uh, and we will be praying for you. How are you doing financially? I know that we've been trying to plug your giving link, which is bit.ly slash give number two Ukraine. Are you getting enough donations to, I know you're trying to buy a van. Are you getting enough donations to help with those needs? Yeah. So, I mean, again, we're, we're very grateful all for all of those who have you know reached out, um, both praying for us and, and just through generous donations. The, the link for donations is, as you said, Britain, bit.ly slash give to the number two Ukraine. Um, so yeah, so we're in the process actually right now, today and tomorrow of uh, buying a van in order to actually evacuate people to drive into kind of the hot spots um, and evacuate people because... At this point, you know, after a month in, uh, the people that got out early were the people who had their own cars. Yeah. You know, and they didn't have to kind of wait around or hope for somebody to take them. The people that are still there now more and more are people that don't have their own transport. So they're they're entirely dependent on, you know, volunteers kind of coming in to evacuate them. Um, you know, again, we've we've been, you know, housing and feeding a lot of them, but but we're also at this point convinced that we need to actually help get them out. Yes. So yeah, so we're in the process of of buying that van over the next couple of days. All right. Well, may God bless you and all of your efforts there and your family keep you safe. And uh, we pray that this war ends very soon and Ukraine will be able to uh, continue within the borders. You know, the Bible says that God has determined the allotted boundaries and borders of our dwelling. And he is sovereign over all of this, even though so much evil is happening. And we will be praying for you. I'll share your prayer requests. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's great. 
Really appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time, Ben. And uh, I hope you get a day off yeah. so you don't burn out. But thank you for working tirelessly. Indeed. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Yes. And I hope on your next visit to the States that you can come here to Northern California. I know a lot of people that would love to meet you and I'd love to introduce you to them. Yeah, would be great. All right. As soon as we kick Putin out, kick him out of Ukraine, yes. we'll uh, start making plans. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Ben. Yep. Sounds good, brother. Yep. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. You've been listening to Dwell on Truth with Brenton Powers. If you'd like to give to either of my guests, Wayne Sheck or Benjamin Morrison, to make a difference in lives on the front lines of the war in Ukraine, you can find the links in the description of this episode of the Dwell on Truth podcast. Thanks for listening and God bless you as you dwell on truth.